Hebrews chapter 1 and the verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? And there's another verse that I would draw your attention to as well. And it is an important verse for what we're thinking about tonight. And that's in Matthew chapter 18 and the verse 10. And the Lord has a little child and he's speaking about children and believers. And verse 10 he says, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Their angels, the angels of the little ones. The angels of the humble believers. They're angels. Now in Hebrews chapter 1. I remind you that the apostle is spending a long time. Showing the superiority of Christ to angels. By various methods and various scriptures. He's showing the superiority of Jesus. To all the angels. And one of the ways that he he does this. And the way that we've been focusing on lately is to show what the angels do in the whole history of redemption. What is their function in the history of redemption? And when you study their function, you see that Jesus is superior to them. In the history of redemption, and by that I mean from the time the Lord gave the first promise in the Garden of Eden, and he's beginning to save his people and to bring them in, up until the very last day at the end of the world when they're all brought in. That's the history of redemption. The angels are participating in that. Now they're not the main participants in the history of redemption. The main participants are God and his son Jesus Christ. The one who became man to redeem He is the main participant. The last Adam. Jesus Christ come in the flesh. The Redeemer. Who in this chapter. Paul called in verse 2. The Ur. That's a very important word in this chapter. Jesus Christ is the Ur. Of all things. He's the main participant. In the history of redemption. Because he redeems men. The other participants are the men who are redeemed and that he came to redeem. They're also called heirs, ministering to the heirs of salvation. So these are the main participants, the heirs. The chief heir, the main heir, the heir of all things, Jesus Christ, and then the joint heirs with him, the saved, who are the heirs of his salvation. So the heirs are the main participants in redemption. The angels are not the heirs. The angels, they minister to the heirs. They, as it were, are serving about and for the heirs. Mainly serving Christ, the heir of all things, the head. But for his sake, also serving his body. The members of his body of which he is the head. The saints. And it's that that we're thinking about. 
They're ministering to the heirs, to the body of Christ, to those who have been redeemed by the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where they fit in. They're ministers. They attend to Christ. They attend to the heir of all things. They serve him and minister to his body as well as ministering to him. And whenever you see that then, you realize they can't be superior to Christ. Even though he's a man, even though he took flesh and human form, he is superior to them, even in his humanity. Because they serve him. They serve the man Christ Jesus. He is the head. He is the one who has all the world to have dominion over. And the angels in that serve him. They are not only Christ's angels. They're your angels too. They're angels. Their angels are before the face of the Father. So they're not superior to Christ then because of that. That shows they're not superior. They're ministers. Now we've been thinking about how they carry out this ministry. And last time we looked at some of the features and the characteristics of their ministry to the saints. Tonight we want to look at their ministry to see what this attendance on men involves. What do they do? And there are several ways in which we could look at the ministry of angels for men. Because it is a very big subject and the Bible has a lot to say about it. But what I want to do tonight is to look at their service to Christ. Their ministry in the life of Jesus. That's where I want to to focus on. And that's described for us in the Gospels. You see, they minister to the heirs. And they minister to Christ the heir. And they minister to the members of his body, the heirs of salvation. So what I'm saying, their ministry to the head is going to have a parallel with their ministry to the body, to the rest of the body and to the members. There'll be similarities. And if we study the angels in in the life of Christ, what did they do for the Lord? As he went through the different changes in life, what were the angels doing in those different stages? As we study that, we get a wee bit of an understanding how that might be happening in our lives, in the lives of the body, the members of Christ. Now, we have to think soberly about this. Uh, We can't speculate or fantasize. Um, We have to be very careful because we're not going to have the same attendance as Christ had. We're not going to have the same kind of angelic ministry as Christ had. He, He was the head. He was special. All the angels were about him. We're the members, and the members are all over the place, and we're not each going to get the same attention. We're not going to have the same degree of ministry as the Lord Jesus Christ did. Not the same frequency. But there will be similarities. That's what I'm saying. The ministry to the heir of all things will have similarities to the ministry to the heirs of salvation in the days of our pilgrimage upon the earth. And as you study the Gospels on the life of Christ, from his birth until his death and resurrection and ascension, you will see that there were certain times that angels ministered to him. And the Gospel writers tell us about that. That's interesting. They don't pass it by. They want us to know about it. They want us to know when he was surrounded by angels. They want to pull back that veil 
and let us see so that we'll be encouraged, so that we'll be instructed. And so they, they write about the angelic participation in the history of redemption, especially around the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did Paul write when he said, seen of angels, seen of angels. He had to write that down. God manifests in flesh, seen of angels. That doesn't mean that they just you know, flew past, had a wee glance. No, they come down and they gazed upon him. And they studied him. And they watched him. They observed. Paul uses the same verb, seen, of the angels. He uses the same verb when he's describing the witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. He was seen of Cephas. He was seen of James. He was seen of the 500. He was seen of me. And that means that they were present. It's because they saw him. They were present. They were there. They saw him. They were actually there. And whenever it says the angels saw him, it means they were there. They were around him. They were present. Now Peter and James and John, they might say, well, we never saw any angels. But they were there. Remember what we said last week? Invisibility. Very important for the angels in their ministry. This invisibility. But they're there. They're there. Seen. He was seen of angels. Observed and watched by them. They were actually present. They're present with God's people. At different times and various stages in their life. Because you can't minister if you're not present. You have to be present. You have to be actually in the vicinity to minister. And if these Angels are going to minister to the saints. It's no good them being up in heaven all the time. They have to be present. They have to come to the earth. They have to be here. I I, I dare say there are angels here tonight. Listening. Rejoicing in the Lord. Amongst his people. It's one of the reasons why the ladies were here. Here at Calvary, you know. Because of the angels. And so you see... They're present. They're about. Now I'm not saying all the angels are here the way they were with Christ. They were crowding in on him to watch him. But I I think there are times when some must be about. The Gospels clearly reveal the times when angels were in in the life of Christ. Whenever they were doing their duty around him as they were observing and seeing him. And if you look at the Gospels Think of Matthew for a start. How how does Matthew commence? And how does Matthew end? It's very interesting. Matthew commences, among other things that he commences with, he commences with an angel. Chapter 1. Because there's an angel of the Lord and he appears unto Joseph in a dream. And that's one of the ways they work. In dreams. They, they can appear in your dreams. They can send messages in, in dreams. And they appeared unto Joseph in a dream. There's a New Testament Joseph who dreams, just as there was an Old Testament Joseph who dreamed. This angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. Why? Because, you see, there's a little baby in the womb of Mary. That's why. He's not just appearing just to Joseph. 
He's appearing to that little baby in the womb of Mary. He's ministering to Christ as he ministers to Joseph. That's, why, that's where it starts. At the womb. And then as you go to the end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, you read in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, to see the, kept the sepulcher. There was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven. And he came and rolled back the stone from the door. And he sat upon it. There's an angel at the end. At the tomb. Because Jesus had been in that tomb. They're there for Christ. They're guard at the tomb. And now they open it up after his resurrection. Not to let Jesus out. They didn't open it to let Jesus out. Jesus had already gone out. But they opened it up to let people see in. That it was empty. And the angel says, don't be afraid. He's not here. Look in. He's not here. He's risen. Just come and see the place where he is. So there's an angel at the tomb. And what I'm saying, in the service to the heir of all things, Jesus Christ, the angels are ministering to him from the womb of his mother, where he first was, to his tomb, where he last was placed. That's interesting. And that's the same ministry to the heirs of salvation. From the very time they're in the womb until they die and they're put in the grave. Ministering to the heirs of salvation. That's the same in the Gospel of Luke. You have that same pattern. In the Gospel of Luke we read that an angel came unto Mary and said, Fear not! And he, he spoke a lot of words to her. He gives the annunciation, and we'll say more about that in a moment. But again, something's going to happen in her womb. An angel's there. Because of that event. From the womb. And then you go to the end of the chapter. In chapter 24. Yea, and certain women also. Verse 22 of our company, the road to Emmaus. These disciples telling the story. Certain women of our company met us astonished. Which were early at the sepulchre. When they found not his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. So we have angels ministering from the womb where Jesus Christ was conceived to the tomb where Jesus Christ was led and raised again from. And at various stages throughout his whole life, that same pattern. And I suggest that that's the way it is with the heirs of salvation. The Lord sends them out to minister to them from the very womb till their death and even till their burial. And so the angels, they, they are excited about Jesus coming. They're excited about the prospects and it begins at the very time of the Annunciation. The angel of the Lord came to Mary. Luke chapter 1 Verse 30, if you want to have that before you. Whenever the Lord Jesus Christ was conceived, there was an angel present at the very moment of conception. Because when the angel gave the annunciation, Fear not, Mary, thou hast found favour with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. 
and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. There's an angel there present as the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary. Now, it wasn't the angel who originated the humanity of Christ. I don't want you to think that. The angel didn't create the humanity of Jesus. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. It's the Holy Spirit that creates the humanity of Jesus. But there's an angel there ministering at the time. There's an angel present to announce it. To help Mary to understand what's happening in her. That angel is doing it not just for Mary's sake. He's doing it for the sake of him who's in the womb. Guarding him from the very conception. So the angel announces this. Because the angel knew about the conception. How did the angel know about the conception? Because they're sent from God. They're sent to the, to the herbs. They know because God guides them. They know because they have the Spirit of the Lord. There's no angel goes in this ministry without the Spirit of the Lord. There's not only the angel here, there's this Holy Spirit here as well, who's coming into the womb and working in the womb. They're both present. The angels have the presence of the Holy Spirit. They know. They don't make any mistakes. They don't minister to the wrong people. Do they know God's elect? I don't know if they know God's elect or not. Do they know who the heirs of salvation are? I don't know if they know who all the heirs of salvation, if they know that or if they don't know that. But I know this, they have the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit knows. The Holy Spirit knows. And they minister to the ones who the Holy Spirit guides them to. To minister to. So they do that. And from that point on, Mary is observed by angels. And Jesus is observed by angels up until his death and burial and even ascension ascension to glory and part of the angelic ministry to angels is to protect and guard the Christ child that's what it's about largely they are guardians you see we're very vulnerable in our flesh and our human nature and we're most vulnerable when we're children very vulnerable then Angels sometimes protect and guard. And that's what they're doing for the Christ child. There's a messianic psalm. The devil knew it very well. Although he quoted it out of context. But he was right in his application to Messiah. There shall no evil befall thee. Neither shall any plague come nigh thee. For he shall give his angels charge over thee. To keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. That's Messiah. That's Messiah. No evil going to come to him. He's not going to get a virus in the womb. He's not going to get a virus in life. He's not going to get a plague that's going to come to him and cut him short before Calvary. Why? Because the angels are going to be guarding him. The angels are going to be hedging him. He's not even going to dash his foot against a stone. Mary's not going to stumble and fall and bash her womb against a rock and somehow Christ's little foot inside his womb is going to be dashed and he's going to be born a cripple. That's not going to happen. Because the Lord God, the Spirit, is going to give his angels charge concerning him. You keep him. You keep him safe in the womb. You keep the mother safe for his sake. It's all about the Christ child. 
keeping him from evil and plagues, safe in the, in the dwelling place, in that little womb of, of that young woman, keeping him safe. Now, the womb is a safe place, but as we know, it needs extra protection. And that's even more so today, congregation. Oh, the, the womb needs extra protection because there are, are governments and laws in the land that says you can rip the baby out of the womb. You can't. Angels guard the little babies in the womb. It's an abomination to angels. Abortion. And those who think about getting an abortion, they really need to think about this. And the Lord has to give them understanding and open their eyes and our heart to see the right way. So the good angels are guards. And they're evil angels as well. And they want to do damage. And, and we know that they want to attack Jesus. And they know that they want to get him early. But the good angels. Now God could do this by his own power. Keep Christ. But he likes to involve the angels, you see. Just as he likes to involve us. I mean, the Lord could see it sold out there by himself. He doesn't need us. But he likes to involve us. So, they, they guard. You, child of God, the, the angel kept your mother. So that she didn't abort you. Or if she fell, there was no damage done to you because God kept your mummy. And he probably used angels in doing it. And so they keep us from harm, even then. It was at Bethlehem, you remember, that all the multitude of the heavenly hosts were there whenever the Lord Jesus was born. And they're all singing. And they're worshipping the newborn infant. And whenever the, the, the angels come to the shepherds, they were come to worship the Christ child, weren't they? They come to praise the God who was to reconcile heaven and earth through this man. The son of man, this last Adam. They're all present. And whenever they sang, it wasn't entertainment for the shepherds. It wasn't entertainment for them. I mean, it only took one angel to inform the shepherds. That's all it took. Just one angel to get them the message that they needed to know. But the angels were singing. Because they're praising the Lord, the Christ child. The time of joy and gladness for the angels. And so the shepherds got that sight of the heavenly chorus. And what does that tell us? Well, it tells us quite a few things, actually. But certainly one of the things that it tells us is that they're all watching over the child. They're all present in Bethlehem. The multitude of the heavenly hosts, they, they were all there. All watching that Christ child. All wanting to minister to the heir of all things. So they're not superior to him. That was the time whenever they heard the word, worship him. When the first begotten come into the world, all the angels were told, worship him. Worship him. And so that's what they do. Because Christ, even, even a little baby infant in the, in, the, in the manger, is superior to them. They're ministering to him. And then they follow him and they guard him. And they arrange things in providence for him. And protect him from, from all the evil and from the plagues, as we say. And we're sure that they do the same for the heirs of salvation. And as I say, it's especially important in the womb and in infancy and in childhood. 
And I suppose this is why the term has been applied to them in tradition, guardian angels. Now that term doesn't actually take place in Scripture, and we have to be careful how we use that term, and we don't misunderstand it, but it, it does sum up, in a sense, part of their ministry. Guarding the saints. These little ones, you see. That's what the Lord is saying, these little ones. This tiny one. As if he has the understanding that, especially around them as children, the angels are very present. They're angels. And many Christians have stories of deliverance from death as children. I'm sure all of us have a story or two about how we were remarkably preserved. It was, it was God. And very often these things, it's not God directly in providence. God is very often pleased to use angels, though we, we don't see it, we don't know for sure. But we have been preserved from death. I know a man who has a little tiny boy up in the block of flats playing up there on the rail in the block of flats and he fell through the rail. Big concrete floor down below. And he went down floor by floor. Down towards the concrete. And outside a, a lady's door there was a little, little mat, a little soft mat. We carpet. And he landed on that. I think he landed on his head. But he was safe. He was preserved. Now, how do you explain that? Little tender head, little tender frame of a little baby boy. How do you explain that? Now, he become a pastor, preacher. Maybe it was the angels guarding him, even then. And there are stories like this all the time in church history. I have read Spurgeon, in fact, a brother reminded me of it lately. I assume it was a similar story about the children in a new house. The mother was dead. Children excited about being in the new house, running down the stairs into the basement. And there's danger at the bottom of the stairs in the darkness because there's a massive hole and they'll just drop right into it amongst all the rubble and be hurt and injured. But as they were running down, they, they saw a, their mother who shouted at them and said, go back, go back. And it so startled them, because they knew their mummy was dead, it so startled them, they went back and told their dad. And he came down and, well, he saw the danger and what had happened. And how do you explain that? It certainly wasn't her ghost. It must have been angelic. The little children preserved. Story after story like that. How do you explain that? Samuel Rutherford and Samuel Rutherford wasn't saved till he was fairly well on in life. Whenever he was a little boy, he, he fell into a well, deep, deep well. He was playing with another boy around the well, and, and he tumbled into the well, splashed into the water, and there he was. I don't know if he could swim or not, but he's struggling away down below. And the little boy's panicking. What's he going to do? He has to run home, get his parents, get help. And whenever they come back, <laughs> Samuel was sitting on the green bank of grass, soaking wet. And they asked him, well, how did you get out? What happened? He says, a, a bunny white man came along, he says, and lifted me out. A bunny white man in a white garment lifted me out. How do you explain that? I suggest angels ministering to the heirs 
of salvation, keeping you lest you dash your foot against the stone, even raising you up if necessary. And we know how important Samuel Rutherford was in church history. Not a man like him for preaching the sweetness of Christ. What would have happened if he had it drowned in that well and been destroyed and ruined? But there was an angel to guard him. I know another man who, as a little boy, was holding a post, timber fence post. He was holding it, a little boy just holding it down at the bottom. Uh, and the man was on, on a stepladder with a big sledgehammer, ready to pull it down with a big swing. And before he does, the sledgehammer drops off the stick. Down the little boy's head, just four or five. You know what this top of the head is like? Why was his brains not gushed out? How do you explain that? Well, ministering to the heirs of salvation. That's the explanation, possibly. Do you remember the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, don't you be afraid to take Mary to your wife. You see, his wife is pregnant. He's engaged, she's not really fully married. They're engaged, which is practically like marriage in Israel. But if you become expectant when you're engaged, you've committed adultery and, and the marriage doesn't take place, she's pregnant. What's he going to do? He can't marry her. He just can't marry her. But the angel says, Look, don't be afraid. The conception is miraculous. She's a virgin still. Now, why was Joseph told that? Because the baby Jesus needs a male guardian. The baby Jesus needs to have a, a, a father for the guardian of him, for him in his infancy, so that he'll have a, a stable home, so that he'll have income, so he'll not be an outcast, so he'll have a career, an apprenticeship, a life. That was for the little baby in the womb. That angel came to Joseph. That's what it's all about, you know. Guarding Jesus in the womb. He's not, he's not even visible yet. He hasn't even been born yet. Joseph, you, you marry her. You take her under your wing. And that little one in the womb too. You be a father to him. And so the angel saw that that took place. What does the Bible say? Joseph was raised from, from the sleep. And he did as the angel said, he did it. And then you're, we read there in Matthew chapter 2 tonight, Herod, the danger of Herod, what he's going to do, he's going to slaughter the little boys. He's worked out the time span. All those inside the age of two should be dealt with to make sure he gets Jesus. Here's Jesus in danger in Bethlehem. Little baby boy. Not too many baby boys in Bethlehem, I don't think, under that age. Herod's going to kill him. No, he's not. The angel is guarding him. And so the angel again comes to Joseph in a dream and says, take the child. That's the priority. Take the child and his mother. Take them both and go down to Egypt. Guarding him. The little baby Jesus. 
And so that's, that's what he's doing. And then whenever Herod was dead, the angel would come back again because the angel's watching all the events. The angel's working in providence. He knows providence. He's coming back to Joseph again in a dream. And he says, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go back to the land of Israel. That old rascal is dead. And so he did. He took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. Now we could go on at different stages in Christ's life. There are many times when we read of the angels ministering to him. Right up to the end. All the stages of his life. But you'll remember at his death, I can call twelve legions, he says. I can ask my father, and he can send me twelve, twelve legions. They're all attending, they're ready to minister unto him. Though not visible. At the cross. At his death. And the angels minister to us. The whole, whole, whole of our life. From the womb. In our temptations. In our agonies. In our sufferings. In our sicknesses. In our troubles. In our death. Remember the, the, the Lazarus. He was carried by angels. To Abraham's bosom. They ministered to Lazarus. So he wouldn't be confused and confounded in the. In the, in the world of spirits. And they guided him in. And they're at us at the resurrection. Because they're around the graves. The womb to the tomb. Ministering to the heir of all things. And they, they do the same to us we believe. In, in, in parallel ways. Though not with the same intensity. And the same frequency. As with Christ. And they very rarely uh, manifest themselves to us. Now, if you get a, 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 a warning in your dream, you should listen to it. Now, I'm not saying it's revelation and you can come and give a sermon about it. No way. But in times of danger, sometimes we need special warnings. And the angels are able to do that. And sometimes in our dreams they do do that. Just to say in closing, what, what does all this mean? Well, it means that Jesus Christ is superior to them. And they serve him, they, they minister to him, they, they worship him, they observe him, they watch him, they follow him, they look over him, they attend to him, they obey him. And therefore, he is not a mere man, but the son of man, the last Adam, who is to bring the new humanity into the dominion of the new earth. And he does that in his grace. And he uses the angels in participating in that. Psalm 8 and all of that. In fact, uh, later on in chapter 2, Paul brings us to Psalm 8. What is man? You've made him a little lower than the angels, but what is man? You, you've made him to have dominion over all the earth. Why do you love man so much? That everything is under man's feet. So the Lord Jesus Christ is, is the one who does all of this. And the angels serve him in that. And then if angels serve him so carefully. And love him so much. And want to see him so much. And to observe him. And, and just gaze at the Lord. How much more ought we to want to do that? To see the Lord.
You know, if it says seen of angels, he ought to be seen of us too. We ought to want to see the Lord and to gaze on him and to, to study him. He had an attractiveness to them. He was magnetism to them. And that's the way Jesus Christ ought to be to us. Magnetism to us. So we want to stir at him, to look at him, to see him. As we were saying this morning at the lattice of the window, looking out at him. And then if, if angels serve him and love him, they, they serve us to his body. That's what I'm really trying to get across. Why, why do they even bother with us? Why, why would they encamp about our little church? Why would they bother? Because they, they love the head. They love Christ. And we love him too. They serve us for his sake. They don't become weary with us. Whenever they see the, the poor Christians that sometimes we are. Because they see that Christ's love doesn't change. And therefore they, they don't change. In their ministry to us. We're valuable to him. And therefore we're valuable to them. And they're very happy to minister to us. So the Lord be praised. That he loves you so much. That he would even send the angels of heaven in various different ways to help you and assist you 